to Adventures in Autism, episode 23. I just have to throw this out there. 23 has always been my lucky number. (laughs) So this is a lucky episode. (laughs) Um, Thank you so much for coming back to listen, or if this is your first show, welcome. I do want to say thank you so much to everybody who has reached out and sent messages and reviews. This past week, I have heard from a few new listeners, and every time it honestly just warms my heart and makes me so happy that people are enjoying the show. If you are enjoying the show, if you would be so kind to leave a review on Apple podcast, that would be amazing. It really does help people to find the show. And today's show is really special. I have a wonderful guest. Her name is Dana and she is a BCBA. So she works in ABA therapy and she is an autism sibling. She has a brother with autism and he is an autistic adult, which I'm very excited because this is the first portrayal of an adult with autism that I've had on the show. And Dana and Rob are just incredible. Uh, We talk about this a lot in the episode, but their relationship is amazing and just everything that Dana is is putting out. Uh, I had originally came across her on Instagram and she is really open and honest just about everything when it comes to what autism really looks like from day to day and just sort of the ins and outs of what that is. So like I said, we talk about that in the episode. I do want to give a disclaimer. Dana shares a very tragic and difficult to hear story uh, that is a part of Rob's journey. And I'm just throwing it out there because it definitely caught me off guard. It was very difficult to hear. So just, you know, be aware (laughs) that that is coming up in this episode. But I I still think it's so it's important to hear these stories because unfortunately, they are all too common in the autism community and special needs in general. So I still I, I really want everyone to listen because I think it's so important to hear. And overall, I think Dana and Rob, the story is truly uplifting and a positive story. But like with anything, there is always the good and the bad. So with that being said, I hope you enjoy listening to my episode with Dana. Hello, Dana. Hi, Megan. Welcome to Adventures in Autism. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for being here. I am so excited to chat with you. Um, we were kind of talking a little bit before we started, and I was saying that not only, so Dana is an autism sibling, Yes. Um, which I love that perspective because autism really does kind of affect the entire family. So very excited to dig into all that. But also your brother, Rob, is an adult with autism, and he's the first like adult that we have been able to get the get the whole journey on. Uh, so that'll be really really interesting to hear that as well. And on top of all that, you yourself are a BCBA. Yes, I am. <laughs> you are just like fully immersed. <laughs> I'm in there. I am in the, in the autism world. world. I'm in deep. <laughs> yes, you are. Well, I love that because I speak that language. Uh, <laughs> Great. <laughs> so usually the way we start is kind of like take us back to sort of the beginning of the journey, which you had told me Rob is your older brother. Yes. So, I mean, he's just been a part of your life the entire time. So I don't even know like where the beginning would start for you, but wherever you feel like, you know, you started to maybe realize that, that Rob was different or how that looked for you. Sure. I mean, like growing up with an autism sibling, it does just kind of become your normal. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think that it really started for me when I was younger in about first grade. Um, That's when my parents really started to talk to me about my brother and how he was different because he wasn't going to school at the time. My mom was homeschooling him Um, and he would come into our local elementary school to receive uh, speech and occupational therapy services. Um, But he didn't attend school like all of the other kids. So right then and there was kind of the big marker 
knowing, okay, something is a little bit different. And how old was he when he was diagnosed? He was three when he was diagnosed. Okay. Cause how he's 32. He just turned 33 this past he's... August. Oh, when is his birthday? Uh, August 20th. Mine is the 23rd. No way. Rob, <laughs> our kindred spirit. I just look at that. So we are both nice and 85 August babies. I love there it. There it is. <laughs> Ew, I felt a connection. Um, okay. So he was, he was three when he was diagnosed. And I mean, like, I am really only familiar with like the diagnosis processed of today, but I can only imagine that, you know, 30 years ago, it looked pretty different. Do you know, like kind of what they did there? I actually, so I actually, my mom and I had recently been going through some old documents and she mm. saves everything and has mm. saved everything. So we were reading through his initial psychiatric evaluations the other day. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. And it started, I know, at least from what my mom, my mom has told me, there were some delays with speech and just one of those mom feelings. She felt mm. something wasn't right. And I'm sure that you can relate to that. Oh, yes. Um, <laughs> so just that kind of gut instinct. And she started to get him checked out by doctors. And I know that the initial psychiatric evaluation he had, they listed that some of the symptoms he was displaying were, you know, representative of infantile autism, which is what the label was at the time. Mm -hmm. um, and that's, I mean kind of all I know in terms of the diagnosis process and how it worked back then that they were given this initial infantile autism diagnosis and given somewhat of a direction from there. That's what I was going to say. Did they like immediately, like, were there, cause I mean, ABA, like, was that even around back then? You know, that was, it was really in the beginning stages and on his initial evaluation, one of the recommendations was behavior modification, which is okay the very early terminology for okay. ABA. Okay. Um, however, it wasn't ever anything that was pursued by doctors or anybody that my family was in touch with in the medical field in regards to this autism diagnosis. Mm -hmm. um, and they got pushed and pulled around in a couple different directions. And Robert was one of the very first children in our school district to be diagnosed with autism. Oh, wow. So they had a pretty difficult time kind of finding a direction to go in from that initial point. And is that why she decided to homeschool? Because it was just like not enough services or what was yeah. the thought behind that? Um, yes and no. It was due to a lack of services, but also just Robert couldn't really be supported in a mainstream, even special education classroom back then. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, behaviorally, he didn't have those you know, typical on task in seat behaviors. He had mm -hmm. attending issues, you know, he would run off and stare at shiny things and yeah. was obsessed with, you know, little trinkets and toys. And it just wasn't something manageable back in that day in a classroom setting. That sounds like autism. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, here like it is. 100% how, how my son is. Um, yeah. I can only imagine how, how different things, things were, 30 years ago. Um, okay. So now back to kind of you and you said that you were, you know, like early school age before that, did you like have, did you ever think like, Hmm, my brother seems a little different or it really was just like always how it was. Honestly, it was just how it was. I mean, I had friends who had typical siblings growing up and, you know, I heard about their experience with like with them and it just, to me, it was just Rob. That's just how mm -hmm. Rob was. Mm -hmm. You know, everybody knew him. I grew up in a neighborhood where oh, there were a lot of kids who were around the same age and we all played together and hung out together. And my brother was included in that as much as possible. Mm -hmm. um, so it was always just a very normal upbringing. It was very normal to me that, you know, my brother liked to carry around plastic owl beads and hang chains off of them and, you know, like to dangle the chains around and walk around <laughs> stores. And, you know, it was just Again, it was all very normal. Yes, absolutely. Well, I mean, it is like it's definitely yeah. you just you adapt to what's what's around you, and that that like you said, that was just normal to you. And I think it's funny because I've had a lot of people ask at, like ask me that question. Well, what was it like growing up with an autism sibling? I was like, I don't know. What was it like growing up with a typical sibling? It's yeah. kind of this, you know, it's the same kind of question, <laughs> like, right? It's so we each have our own unique experience, and this was just mine. 
Well, I cutting to now because I I found you uh, through Instagram. Yes, you love to post like little videos of like you and Robin pictures, and mm-hmm. I I it like warms my heart times a million when I see that because oh. I just can see that sibling bond is is so strong with the two of you, and it it like just like you said, it doesn't matter if your sibling is typical if they are on the spectrum. You know, it, when you have that relationship with someone, none of that really matters. No, it really doesn't. And I mean, we still have a very typical sibling relationship at times. You know, we don't agree on things every, <laughs> you know, there are things we disagree on. There are arguments we get into. And even though it's not a typical verbal argument, it's mm-hmm. still, it still happens. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, like you said, it's just very typical for me. That's good to know. I, cause yeah, I have, you know, Logan is, he's going to be six and then mm-hmm. we have the, the, the two little girls and especially like my middle daughter. Um, she just, she loves him. Like she idolizes him. She thinks that he's so amazing. And I, I, in the back of my mind, I wonder like, I wonder when that's going to change for her. I wonder when she's going to start to kind of notice things. And I think she mm-hmm. already does in a certain way. Like, I don't think it, like you said, I think it's totally normal for her. Yeah. But she definitely like, she, she kind of like dotes on him and babies him, mm-hmm. even though he's, you know, three years older than she is. Like he just kind of, oh, yes. he like looks out for him, which is so sweet. It's like the sweetest thing. Um, but I, yeah, when I, like I said, when I see your relationship, I'm like, even as adults, like you have that, that bond, which I just think is like, I mean, for any sibling, it's, it's so important, but especially when you have a sibling with autism, I think it's just so, it's so wonderful to see that. I love it. Oh, well, thank you. Aw. <laughs> uh, okay. So, so then obviously, like you said, he was, he was homeschooled. Did, was he ever in like a mainstream, a general school? Um, they, I know my mom tried preschool, but he mm-hmm. got in trouble for running away and not keeping a shirt on and <laughs> not wearing shoes. Okay. Um, so that's about as mainstream as we got with Rob. Okay. Um, and <laughs> then during kind of some of the early years after they started getting uh, speech therapy and those different types of services through our local school district, my parents also, you know, they tried their best to educate themselves. Um, mm-hmm. and they reached out to, you know, other organizations and other families, you know, that not necessarily in our area, because there really wasn't much going on in our area in terms Mm -hmm. of autism services, but they would attend conferences down near New York City. And they actually uh, ended up enrolling in a program down at an institute outside of Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. And it was a place that focused on uh, these kids with at the time, the terminology they were using was, you know, brain injury or brain damaged children, mm-hmm. um, getting them to meet certain developmental milestones um, on a timeline and trying to work on skills in order to have them meet these milestones. Um, and again, I don't really know too, too much about the research behind it or what mm-hmm. the thinking was behind it. But I do know that a lot of the elements of that programming from there are somewhat representative in ABA nowadays. Mm -hmm. Um, And one thing that I like to joke about with some of my friends is that I was actually put on a token economy system when I was younger (laughs) because I did all of the programming with my brother because obviously, you know, whatever my older brother was doing, I had to do too. Mm -hmm. Um, So I jumped (laughs) right in and, you know, if I wanted to go to the movies with my dad, I had to earn it. I had bingo chips. I had to keep in a fanny pack. And once I earned, you know, my 20 bingo chips for helping out with the chores or something, then I got to earn, you know, an outing with my dad to the movies. Um, <laughs> I mean, that's just good parenting. In my right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it worked out well for my mother. Not only did she help my brother, but, you know, she kept me in line as well. Yes. Too. Oh, my goodness. So did, because you said that you're in upstate New York. Yes. So were they having to take him to Philadelphia? Like, yeah, they would go down um, at least once a year and spend two or three weeks um, at this institute where Robert would see people and be evaluated. And my parents would attend classes to learn kind of the latest technologies that they needed to know in order to implement this programming at home. Mm -hmm. Um, And Sometimes I would go with them if it wasn't a big deal to pull me out of school, depending on when they went. Um, Sometimes I would go with them. 
when I got a little bit older, because during the day, the kids are kind of left alone while the parents are attending classes. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I was younger, I would stay at home with my grandparents. And it was just kind of like a fun vacation for me that I got to be spoiled by my grandparents <laughs> while my, you know, mom and dad were taking my brother mm-hmm. on his mini vacation, you know, yeah. for those couple of weeks. That's pretty intensive, though, to like, have that for weeks at a time. Yeah, it definitely was very intense. And I mean, my like I said, my mom dedicated her and has dedicated her entire life to kind of caring for my brother and implementing any type of programming that he might need. That's wonderful. I can yeah. definitely relate to that. And it <sighs> seems like you can too. Yes, just a little bit. <laughs> yeah. So when when did you decide then that, that you wanted to, you know, pursue ABA and, and, and become a BCBA? Um, well, it all, it all kind of started as I got older and I was in college and there's, there's actually a little bit of a sad part to Robert's story. Um, he, after he aged out of the school system in our district, so mm-hmm. for him, that was 21. Okay. Um, he, we had a very hard time finding any type of services for adults that were really appropriate for him in the area, but were being pushed by, you know, our medical doctor, our, you know, insurance people, he needs to get in the program. What is he doing at home? Um, it's not good for him. He needs to be in a program. So my parents were kind of pushed into finding something for him to do. And we found a, they found a program locally that was for adults with disabilities it, not just autism specific. It seemed like it would be a good fit and they tried it out. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, it wasn't a good fit. And Robert ended up becoming the victim of physical abuse in that program. Oh, God. Um, yeah, every parent's worst nightmare. You know, you think you've done the right thing. You think you've worked all these years and you finally have your adult son who has autism in a day program. Things are going well. My mom started working part-time again. Um, but unfortunately the staff that were hired to work in this program weren't trained properly and didn't really have a lot of experience with individuals with autism. Um, So there were a lot of things that kind of had happened. There were a lot of events surrounding everything, but kind of the culmination happened. They were on an outing at a store um, just to kind of give you insight into what happened. Mm -hmm. And I don't mind sharing because I think that this is important. No, it's important for people to hear also as, as, difficult as it is to hear. Yes. Um, you know, autism is difficult and it can be made more difficult by certain circumstances. But so anyways, they go on this outing. Um, my brother has money in his account. They're going to a dollar store. He would like to buy two candy bars. However, the staff informed him for some reason that he was only allowed to buy one. I don't know if it was because all of the other people, the consumers were buying one, I'm not sure what and the rationale clear, was. They, they were doing this event or not event, but like outing as like a learning experience, I'm assuming was the, the purpose of it. Yes. Like a fun, let's go into the community. Let's interact with community members. Let's, you know, learn how that to use money ability. and pay for things. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so yeah. So Rob wanted to buy two candy bars, which is pretty typical. I mean, he <laughs> likes his candy. He knows when he goes out with mom, he gets a couple candy bars. Mm-hmm. Um, and this staff told him no. So my brother got very upset and he's a big guy. He's six two, two hundred 240 pounds. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's loud and he flails his arms around when he gets angry. Mm-hmm. And the staff member was so frustrated with him and was trying to get him out of the store that he ended up shoving him and he shoved him into displays that were knocked over. And eventually he ended up grabbing my brother around his throat um, and throwing him to the ground and pushing him out into the van. Yeah. Um, And the only reason we know this is because of the store clerk that was working. She knew the program, knew who these people were and immediately called and reported it to their supervisors. So, Gosh. Yes. There was a little bit of follow-up that came from that. Um, However, we didn't find out that this had happened until the following day after my brother was already allowed to go back to the program. So we didn't know the day it happened. We got a phone call from the staff member on the outing saying that Robert got upset in the van and had a couple marks on his neck because the seatbelt, you know, grabbed his neck neck in the van. They lied to us. Oh my God. Gosh. Yes. So eventually it all came out that it was being covered up 
and that he was allowed to go back to the school the next day, even though this, even though the supervisors at the program knew what had happened. So there was obviously massive fallout. There was, I mean, this really event kind of threw my family into chaos. It's the I, best way to describe it. <laughs> um, I can only imagine. I'm trying yeah. to not just lose it. That's so yeah. heartbreaking. I'm so sorry. It's it's okay. It's, I know it's like, seriously terrifying to think yeah. that, like you said, you you know you you put your your child or adult son into this program thinking that this is going to be helpful and then to have this be the outcome of it it's a nightmare it's oh, like absolute that's nightmare true, that's a true nightmare um yeah gosh i'm so sorry that i mean that seems so silly to even say but just so i know that happened how how did rob seem after he, that happened was he upset? he he was upset but the way i mean it kind of manifested for him differently mm-hmm. um which i think is something that's very interesting with autism in, in general, um, he was diagnosed, ended up being diagnosed with PTSD from the whole incident. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Um, and he, the way we kind of saw that in him, um, he would engage in these rituals for hours and hours and hours upon end. I mean, it would take him, there were days it would take him eight hours to get dressed He'd be standing in his room. He would put on a sock. It would take him an hour to take off the sock. Then he would put the sock back on, off and on, off and on. I mean, over and over again. Mm-hmm. And I'm really not exaggerating when I say eight I- hours. <laughs> <laughs> like eight full hours of getting dressed. So we kind of saw Robert get into these very obsessive, compulsive, ritualistic behaviors. And it was something he had always kind of had a little bit of. You know, he always liked to, to, to eat four candies and he always liked to line them up. You know, he always liked to have a little, do a little dance as he exited a room and like tap his toes on the <laughs> threshold. You know, it was, it was pretty normal for him mm-hmm. to have those little ritualistic behaviors, but to see it kind of be exacerbated on this scale was, I mean, insane. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, you know, was able to work through it. We worked with doctors. He was on some medication for a little while that seemed to help. Um, but it was really tough on him and it was tough yeah. on our family. And we would try to help him along, but not necessarily know how. And we did end up seeing a lot of very novel behavior from him. He was aggressive. He was hitting us. And this was probably, you know, the first time. I mean, maybe when I was younger, I would get a smack here or there because I was the annoying little sister. <laughs> but it was, you know, different on a different scale now. Um, you know, the and minute you... Yes, this... sorry. No, I just said, how old was he when this incident had happened? He was 23, 24, around there. I, I was a junior in college, so I was just around 21. So you mm-hmm. figure he's two and a half years older than I am. Okay. Um, so somewhere around that age, like just had finished, you know, his, his time at our local high school and with the home programming, it was kind of fresh out of high school for him. Okay. Gotcha. Um, mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. What a nightmare. Yeah. Oh, so that, I, I mean, that incident, that was really what kind of pushed me in the direction of the autism field in terms of my career. I didn't really necessarily know anything about ABA at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, I just knew that I needed to do something to help my brother. I knew mm-hmm. that eventually, because I'm the sole sibling, it's just me and him. Mm-hmm. Um, so I knew eventually down the line, you know, his care was ultimately going to fall into my lap. I was going to be responsible for him. Mm-hmm. And so... I think that was something that was always in the back of my mind and coming out of college, I didn't really know exactly what I wanted to do. And it was just one of those, you know, serendipitous life moments where you had a company who's looking for employees that specializes in autism education and research, come to your college at a job fair and you happen to attend their seminar. And I was like, oh, I could probably do that. I know autism. I, you know, <laughs> yeah. I have like 22 years of autism experience. I think I could maybe do that for a year and see how it goes. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, seven years later, I'm leaving my job with a master's degree in specialization in behavior analysis and moving home to help my family with my brother. Um, so that's kind of how I got wrapped into the autism world in terms of my career. Mm-hmm. 
So that that was you and I were talking about that before we we started recording too. So you did decide to 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 move home and to be like another caretaker for your brother. Yeah. And this is still all kind of fallout from the abuse incident 10 years ago. Since that point, we haven't been able to find appropriate services for him in the area. And I think that, you know, a lot of it isn't just our area. It's, it's the adult worlds in general. Mm -hmm. I think that it's so difficult. I mean, my brother, I mean, coming from, from where I come from professionally, seeing what ABA can do for kids, seeing what early intervention can do, seeing what these therapies can do to help these kids kind of gain the skills they need. Mm-hmm. I, it's hard for me to understand why a push for those services stops at 22. Autism oh, doesn't stop at 22. Right. <laughs> so why should an effective therapy that's going to help somebody lead a more successful life stop at 22? Absolutely. So it was difficult to try to help my parents from afar, find these services he needed. And we had a few staff um, come in and try to work with him, but they just didn't understand Robert. And like I said, he's a big guy. Mm -hmm. And if you're not prepared to deal with a very large man throwing a tantrum, like it's kind of a lot to take on. Mm -hmm. Um, And especially at that point too, he had become a little bit aggressive. And like I said, we'd seen him start engaging in some self-injury and these people just weren't really qualified to deal with it. Yeah. Um, so my parents tried, they tried a couple different agencies. They had a couple different staff come in and nothing was a good fit. And my parents are getting older. You know, thankfully we don't have any major, major health issues yet. Um, but I know that it's coming down the line. We're at this, mm-hmm. this is kind of like a turning point for us, for yep. myself and my brother. Um, so that was really the, the push to kind of come home was just seeing my parents struggle and not be able to help my brother in the way he needed to be helped. And with my background, I knew that I could do that in more ways than just one. I could come home and I could work with him and I could try to help him gain some skills he needs and work on some of his more challenging behavior while also actively looking for and seeking some type of services for him in the area too, with Mm -hmm. my background. So before you move back home, were you, like working as an ABA therapist? Uh, yes. Okay. I was, um, so I started working at a school that specializes, um, their specialty is autism education Mm -hmm. and research. I mean, they have some of the most brilliant minds, uh, in the fields of ABA Mm -hmm. under this one roof. Um, so I started off, they, you know, labeled it as a teacher, but really you were, you know, a direct care staff. It was a residential yeah. program. You were going oh. in, waking the kids up, getting them ready, bringing them to school, teaching them skills at school, taking them home, making sure they ate dinner and tucking them into bed. So it was kind the of 24 seven. The kids lived there. Yeah. The kids I've lived heard, there. I mean, I've heard of like, a, like adult care facilities like mm-hmm. that. Didn't even know that existed for like children. Yeah. I mean, these were the kids that, you know, these, I, these were some of the more severe cases of autism that public school really couldn't support and they couldn't be supported at home. Um, So these were some pretty tough kiddos that Mm -hmm. ended up in the residential program. Um, And there are quite a few, I think, you know, there were a handful of different teams and there were about six to nine students on each team. Um, It was definitely a very, very big facility a very big residential program. Did the kids come from like all over? Yeah, there were kids from, I mean, mostly based in Massachusetts. There were a lot of local kids, but I mean, we had kids from New York, Virginia. Uh, There was even a student that I worked with whose family had driven up to the area from Mississippi because they knew that the schooling and services were better in the Massachusetts area. Mm -hmm. Um, So there really were kids from all over. Wow. That is really interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so you were, so you were working there and you mm-hmm. were obviously, like you said, working with, with kids, were they like all like elementary school age or what ages were they? I worked with kids ages 11 through 22. Okay. So I, I spent a couple years working on a, on a younger team. So that like 11 to 17 age, 
mm-hmm. um, you know, the puberty age, which is really fun with autism. I'll tell you that. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Just get ready. I'm scared. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a time. Um, but I worked with that age for a few years and then I worked on an older team uh, where the kids were 16, 17, up until 22. So I got to see them kind of graduate and move on to like an adult placement or wherever they were going after they left the program. So you did have like experience, like it wasn't like you were with like really little kids then no. brother was like a huge jump because they were like older. Oh yeah. No. Some of these kids were just as big as my brother. <laughs> <laughs> so were you able to like implement some of the things that you were doing at that school or did you have to, I mean, I'm sure it's a little bit of both have to like kind of really improvise for Rob and like what was going to work best for him? Um, I mean, I, I definitely took bits and pieces of what I learned at my time there. I mean, it was, it's an ABA school. They use ABA every day in every aspect of these kids' lives. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, everything was very structured. There was a lot of, you know, discrete trial training. There was a lot of, we used a lot of different task analyses to break down those harder skills to teach. Um, So I used a lot of that knowledge and that ABA background um, to tailor what I'm doing now with Robert. That's something that I feel like we could touch on because I've talked a lot about ABA in the podcast because we've been, Logan's been doing ABA for the last um, almost like year and a half now. Mm-hmm. And we, we've seen such great success since he's started ABA. That's excellent. Um, yes. It's, I yeah. mean, it's amazing. And I, before, before we had started, I was really kind of nervous about it. Like that was one of the things that was almost like holding me back from actually getting the diagnosis because I knew that that was mm-hmm. what what they were going to recommend for us and it can be it was, scary as a parent well it's, if, it's scary because you know like it is very intensive and mm-hmm. I like I knew that if we went down this road it was going to 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 become a huge part of our lives what I didn't know at the time was how much it was going to help us because had I known that I I would have jumped in feet first no problem oh yeah but I had heard from other parents who had done ABA because it's not for everyone mm-hmm. um I had definitely gotten like some negative viewpoints on it. So I think that kind of skewed my perception. Um, And so going into it, I was definitely more nervous. But one of the things that I was so surprised to find out about ABA was like how, um, I mean, clinical is not probably the right word to use because it's also like these people are become like family and they become really close with, they, Mm -hmm. they are close with Logan too. So clinical makes it sound kind of cold and I don't think it is, but like we, we go over like these charts and graphs, like every, mm-hmm. every, we, we do a team meeting, like every six to eight weeks. And it's like, we're, we're literally looking at like all this collected data. So it's not just, you know, if you were looking at it from the outside, you might just think like, okay, they're just like playing or, you yeah. know, program, but it's like, everything really is, it's all collected. It all gets in the bank and it all like mm-hmm. comes back so that you can really see where like the strengths and weaknesses are. So I don't know if you want to kind of elaborate on that a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I can, I can touch on that a little bit. I mean, and I think that, I mean, that's something too, that, you know, especially the job I worked at, I know exactly what you're talking about. We (laughs) would have team meetings every week. We would look at data. We would discuss, you know, everything that we had observed. And, and the reason for that is, I mean, ABA really is setting itself apart because it's, it's this approach to learning and motivation that's grounded in scientific research. Mm -hmm. And that's why there is so much emphasis put on data collection and graphing and visually inspecting and making sure progress is being made and making modifications if it's not. Um, It's how it tries to set itself apart from, you know, standard psychology where you can kind of sit there and talk in circles about different diagnoses and all of these, you know, these mentalistic constructs that are hard to wrap your mind around Um, behavior analysis as a field try tries to set itself apart by being very scientific um, and really relying heavily on observable events and collecting that data and making sure that, you know, change is happening where changes should be happening. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that it is difficult like I mentioned, you know, it's hard for parents to kind of stomach that because it is a very different approach and it's not, you know, it can come off as very clinical and it can come off as very cold. 
Mm-hmm. I remember sitting in class one day, and this was like a five hour long class, and we spent a majority of it discussing the problem with dissemination and ABA and why it's so hard to get buy in from the community. And a lot of it has to do with the way we discuss things. And, you know, sometimes we can sit there and talk about a student and how cute they are. And oh my God, you know, their favorite snack (laughs) are the red chewy fish and they love to go swimming. But then we can also sit there and have a very clinical discussion, you know, about their behavior deficits and what behaviors are on an increasing trend and what, you know, we need to be looking for. And it's just this, this objectivity that comes with the fields that can make it hard to, like I said, kind of get that buy-in from parents or caregivers Mm -hmm because it can come across, you know, not, not in the most positive light. It's interesting though, because like, like I said, now that we've been in it Mm -hmm. uh, and I think we've been really lucky because I I mean, I know, I mean, just kind of like how, how you're saying, like, just because you think something is going to be good for your, your child or your your brother or your whatever, it's, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's, it's going to be right. Uh, but I think at least like my experience with, with ABA is I, I really haven't enjoyed having all those charts and graphs because mm-hmm. like you said, then you it's, I mean, it's clear as day. You can see like, okay, this is an upward trend. Like he's getting it. We're, mm-hmm. we're, we're working on that. I know for him, I don't know if it's the same everywhere, but it's like, you know, we work on like mastering a skill and then once yes. he's mastered it, we move on. And it's like that to, to see all these skills that he's been able to master since he started the program and, and not all of them are like completely functional skills, but still it's like, it's getting us to where we want to be. Mm-hmm. So as much as like, I, yes, it, it can come off like kind of clinical like that. Um, for me, it's, it's always, I think been really helpful because, and then the same on the other side as well, if there's something that, you know, is it working? Like you said, then it's like, we have to look at it from a different angle and say, okay, well, why isn't this working? How can we, you know, change this to make it work? Mm -hmm. Um, and we, like I said, we've been really lucky. We've had really wonderful therapists up until now who have been, um, just so invested with Logan and so like caring of him so that like that, that clinical side of things to me, like is, is overshadowed by the fact that they're, they're really helping him and it really makes a difference. Oh, that's so good. I'm glad that you, you or family has had such a good experience with ABA therapy. No, we really, it's so nice to hear. Yes. I like to like sing the praises of it. Cause I know that, well, especially, like I said, I, I had talked to, several parents before we got into it who like didn't you know really present it in the best light so I didn't really know what we were getting into and I'm kind of like okay we'll we'll try it we'll see how it goes um but like I said for us like almost from the beginning even though we weren't seeing like huge progress in the beginning Mm -hmm. um Logan just took to it really well like he's he's just the kind of kid who really like enjoys the work Mm -hmm. Um, he, I mean, like most kids with autism, he doesn't really play the same way that other kids play. I mean, he definitely plays, but a lot of it is right. sort of kind of like kind of stimming behavior where he just kind of like messes around with stuff. And yeah, he might like line mm-hmm. up or, you know, he'll have, have his little like things that he likes to actually play with. But I think it, it's, it's just really good for him. He likes to be busy. And so I think like giving him stuff to do, he's like, great, let's keep doing it. So- yes. It seemed I, like I was always so worried about him being like overwhelmed by therapy, but like he actually seems to do best when he when he has therapy. Yeah, and I mean just to make a very gross overgeneralization, there is a large majority of the the autism population that these individuals like that structure and they mm-hmm. prefer that structure. You know, they want to wake up and have this same schedule every day and know exactly what's going on. And for some reason, that's tends to be their preference. I mean, Robert is the same way. He would sit down and he would do work, you know, majority of the day. Um, You know, if he knew he could have his breaks in between and watch Sesame Street videos on YouTube every once in a while. (laughs) But, you know, he's a kid that kind of craves that structure and looks for it. Yeah. That was going to be my next question is like, was it difficult for him to see you in that kind of like, you know, I would say clinician, but I don't think he would I, I don't think he's like my sister's a clinician yeah, right? But that kind of teacher role like did he was there any pushback from him with oh that? yes <laughs> yeah because like I know for me like when I try to like 
run similar type programs with Logan, I get like nada. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it how- was, yeah, it was, that was definitely very, those were very tricky waters to navigate. Mm-hmm. Um, I had been working. So post-college, I jumped right into work. I think I had two weeks off in between college graduation and starting my job. Um, so I was out of the house for seven years. I mean, I had vacation time here and there and I would come home whenever I could, but I kind of was pretty absent for seven years. I think he kind of just, you know, knew me. He obviously knows that I am, you know, his sister, whatever that means to him. Um, and I would show up a couple of times a year and we'd have fun and it would be a holiday and there'd be cake and cookies (laughs) and it would be great. And then I would leave. Um, so it was very different for him. And I took a very, tried to take a very gentle approach moving back home and getting into it because this was his environment. This is what, where he had been living, you know, he had been able to, to kind of trade in and hang out on the computer most of the day and eat whatever he wanted for the most part. Um, You know, he wasn't really told no a lot and he was given a lot of independence around the house and I am not speaking illy of my parents or, you know, they did the best that they could. Mm-hmm. And that's just how they knew to live with him. Mm-hmm. They just, you know, he was another person living in this house um, who kind of did whatever he wanted. Um, so for me to come in, I tried to just make myself a normal part of the environment. I'm someone who's going to be here every day before I started to gradually ask him to do more things or, Hey, like, why don't you come over here at the table and sit down and like, let's look at this piece of paper. Um, Oh, there's some math problems on it. Maybe we can try a few. (laughs) And, you know, we had a few rough goes. He, he, I like to refer to him as the escape King. Um, So he engages in a lot of behavior to get out of doing things. And it's been very effective for him because my mom is very small and Mm -hmm. my parents, you know, don't want to upset him. Yeah. So he really uses his size to his advantage. So for me to come in and kind of tell him no and me no and like I'm going to enforce the no Mm -hmm. um, was very difficult for him. And we had a very rocky first couple of months. I mean, he was very aggressive luckily in my line of work i had been a- been trained you know how to deal with aggressive behavior safely for both mm-hmm. myself and him um so we had a very rough go and it was very much a, a time of me asserting myself like you said as that therapist and as mm-hmm. that clinician and not just his sister and i think that that's a a really tough line that I still have trouble walking every once in a while, Mm -hmm. you know, the ABA clinician in me is like, Oh my gosh, I can't let him be doing that right now. But then like Mm -hmm. his sister's like, you know, whatever, it's fine. If he eats another little Debbie cake, it's not the end of the world. He'll be okay. (laughs) Um, You know, so it's, it's tough. It's a very tough balance and it took a long time. I would say it almost took a full year just, you know, around this time last year, we were in a very different spot than we are right now. Okay. Now, Now I can, tell him no and ask him to do something and interrupt his routine a little bit more easily than I could a year ago. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Um, Was that hard for your mom to see? Yes. Yeah. I think it was. I mean, and it wasn't something we haven't really talked too much about, Mm -hmm. but I know it was difficult for her. She obviously doesn't like to see Robert upset. And I think, you know, given, given his history, Mm -hmm. um, I think that, she just wants him to be happy and lead a happy life. And, and I think that coming from my perspective, happy to me means independent and self-sufficient and mm-hmm. happy to her just means genuinely happy. You know, he wakes yeah. up with a smile every day. So I think it, we had a, some clashing ideas of what happy and successful were for Robert. Mm-hmm. And it took us some time to work together and kind of figure it out and find that happy medium. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's something that, you know, we still work on and we're kind of continuing to work on with him and with yeah. us um, trying to find that balance, which is hard. Every day it's hard because every day you have to pick your battles. It's something new. I mean, you know how autism is and I'm sure everybody listening <laughs> knows what what that means. You pick yeah. your battles every day. It's so um, true. Well, and like you said, too, like because I'm 
I probably favor more like your mom where I just wanted to be happy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but I also know how important it is, like you said, to be in- instilling that those boundaries and working on that you know functional behavior Mm -hmm. um like just just in the last like couple months logan has started to like when he comes home from school he will like take off his shoes and take off his jacket and put them away (laughs) that i mean he's he's you know he's gonna be six yeah so i mean that is like huge progress oh i bet Oh my gosh. It's incredible. Um, and honestly, the only reason why he, he really is doing that is because of my husband, because (laughs) if it were up to me, I would still just be like, Hey buddy, let me take off your shoes and your coat. Uh But it's like, I, like I, I just am so used to these things and just knowing like, okay, this, and, and usually he's okay. But, um, you know, like obviously as the seasons change, like his, his summertime shoes were really easy for him to, to get on and off and he could yeah. take those off. It was no problem. And then when we got into like, now he's wearing, you know, his like gym shoes or whatever mm-hmm. laces. And when, when we first like kind of switched over, it, he was definitely getting a little more frustrated. And it's like, I, I'm standing there and I'm just like, uh, 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 right. Let I, me do it. I can do it for you. I can no, help you. I right. Don't, I don't want to, but I like, I'm, I'm using like every, you know, like restraint oh, to be like, don't, don't help him. Like when he's putting on his socks, cause he can put on his own socks now, mm-hmm. which again, huge progress. Oh, huge. We, I had a breakthrough with Robert a few months back with oh, socks. So I feel yay. you, I feel oh, you my. on the socks. It's, it's so amazing. I, I mean, I've said it before, but it's just like these things that we do so mindlessly with, without even thinking. And then it's like to see, you know, my son like work struggle so- every day. Oh, yeah. Struggle. And and just and and work so hard on these these little like kind of mundane you know sort of activities it's like it's it just it makes me it makes me so proud of him to know that like right. he's able to, to 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 come this far um but it also it just like it gives me that little bit of perspective into what it must be like to have autism because yes. you you just like you do you take these things for granted that you know, like right now I'm sitting here and I've got, I've got a cup of water next to me and I'm just picking up my cup. I'm drinking it. I'm not spilling anywhere. Mm-hmm. Whereas like, you know, for, for Logan, I don't know where Rob is at now. It's like that, that's a task. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like just even that alone, we went to a birthday party the other day and they didn't, we, they were like running around and crazy and it was getting hot. So I knew Logan was thirsty and I had left his, his water bottle in the car and they were like, Oh, there's a water fountain right there. And I'm like, Oh, oh man. <laughs> I'm like, is he going to, I'm like, he's probably just gonna like put his face in there. Cause he loves <laughs> anything water related. He's yes. So does Robert. Yep. Yes. <laughs> so what ended up happening was there was a little girl like kind of in line before him. And I was like, can he watch you? And her mom was there. So it wasn't like, I was like a creeper. Right. Um, <laughs> but I was like, make, I'm like telling him like, okay, Logan, like make sure you're, I'm like, do you see how she's taking a drink? And he, it took him a couple try, like he would press on it and kind of, you know, see the water come out. And first, of course, he didn't want to like put his hands in it. And I'm like, no, oh, yeah, drink. And then like, he definitely splashed some water on his shirt, but he was able to do it. <laughs> yeah. It's like, so awesome. But yeah. it, again, it's something that I think a lot of people take for granted and they and don't think about. Right. And that's where like, I feel like as much as autism awareness is like sort of a lame term at this point, because it's yeah. like, again, we, we all know. We're that, all aware. We're, yeah. <laughs> we're aware that autism exists, but I, what I think is still so important is like, taking that a step further and being like, okay, you're, you're aware that autism is a thing, but it's like, are you aware that, you know, all, all these little bits and pieces that right. go into it. And that's yeah. what I feel like for like you, like sharing uh, on your Instagram, like these, these little, like, you know, videos and pictures, it's just like, it's painting that picture of, of what it's really like to have, I mean, for you, an adult with autism. Yeah in your life. And it's, it's so, I mean, even as someone who is fully immersed in autism, it's still so interesting because it's such a different perspective with the adult. It really is. And I mean, that was kind of, I mean, I'm so glad that you just said that because that was kind of my whole rationale for, for starting this Instagram page. Um, I just wanted to bring more awareness to what 
it actually means to live with autism as an adult. Mm-hmm. What is it like for an adult on the autism spectrum who lives at home with his parents? Mm-hmm. And I think that, like you said, that's not something that a lot of people think about. And especially when the term autism awareness gets thrown around, um, I th- it was one of my very initial posts. I mentioned having a hard time with April and autism awareness month. Um, you know, it was such a big thing at the company I worked for. It was our month. Everybody wears blue and it, you know, it was this whole big to do. And I was sitting in there struggling because, you know, it's like, okay, it's great. Like everybody's aware of autism, but they're not really aware of what it means. Right. They're aware of the word. They know how to spell it. They can read it. They can tell me that says autism, but can they really tell me what it's like for an individual on the autism spectrum? Have they had the experiences, you know, that they needed to have in order to be able to relate to these individuals mm-hmm. on kind of that deeper level. And, and it's something that unless you work in the field, unless you know somebody who has autism, you don't really get that type of insight. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is something that, you know, the autism community still struggles with in terms of awareness. Like you said, you know, it's so much more than that. It's so mm-hmm. there's, there's another deeper level of awareness that needs to happen Um, and it's hard because how do you make that happen? You know, there's one of these things I might get on a soapbox for a minute are all of these, (laughs) these TV shows and these movies that portray individuals with autism. Mm -hmm. And I am going to say it flat out. I have not watched any of them. I have seen, (laughs) I, I just, (laughs) maybe someday I will be able to, I just haven't been able to bring myself to watch them because I know that they're not going to be representative of the type of autism that I know. You know, the severe kids that I worked with for those few years that I was at that school, you Mm -hmm. know, it doesn't represent those kids. It doesn't represent my brother. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's hard for me to think that that's what the world is seeing. And that's what they're thinking of when, when they hear autism and they think autism, they're thinking of the doctor who can pick up a scalpel and, and operate on people. I remember my mom laughed hysterically when she thought this was going to be a show. She's like, Oh my gosh. She's like, well, maybe we should give Robert a scalpel. Maybe we don't know. Maybe we're missing something. Maybe he could be a doctor. You know, it was just, (laughs) right. It was just one of those moments of like, Oh my gosh, this seems so silly to us Mm -hmm. that this is how autism is being portrayed. And I, And I don't mean this in a negative light. I think it is excellent. Any type of awareness is great. Any, you know, getting the label out there, getting the the disorder out there for the greater world to kind of hear and become a daily part of their life is, is excellent. I just wish that there was also more emphasis being placed on the opposite end of the spectrum Mm -hmm. that focused, you know, on, on some of the, the real challenges that these individuals are facing. I, I completely hear you. And I, I totally agree with what you're saying. I, I definitely do. And I've talked about, I've talked about these type of shows and podcasts a couple times before. Um, I am thankful that at least the conversation is. Yes. Yeah. Because I feel like then moving forward, we can, we have more room to grow because, you know, the, these TV shows that are out now, like they, they weren't around, you know, five, 10 years ago. So at least it's like, we're moving in the right yes. direction. And, um, I haven't, my husband and I have watched, we watched atypical. We watched okay. seasons and we actually did enjoy it because we, as much as the, the, the kid on that show is totally high functioning and they, they talk about that in the show. They talk about how he's high functioning. So it's not like, Oh, that's different. good. Yeah. So I was, I was going to say, if you're going to watch any of them, try atypical okay (laughs) all right maybe i'll give it a try (laughs) yes because there was a lot of times where like manny and i'd be watching and we would we would just like totally relate to these moments even though you know our son is different and and everyone on this is different there there's still a lot of like really relatable moments really sweet moments really funny moments because like i always i like i remember reading um a review of the show Mm -hmm when it kind of first came out and somebody was, was saying that they felt like it was kind of like making fun of autism. And I mm-hmm. said, I'm like, I, I don't feel like that. I feel like, especially as a parent, I, I mean, I think you can understand as a sibling too, you know, there's, there's things that our kids do that whether they are typical or not, they're like a little different, a little quirky. And it's like, we think they're cute and we right. think funny and we, you know, it becomes a part of like who they are. And it, 
to me, like that's endearing. And I think that was endearing on the show. And I think that's endearing of people with autism. Mm -hmm. And I think that like, that's not, I didn't feel like the show was like, you know, laughing at autism. I definitely feel like it was laughing with autism. And I think that's totally okay because it's like, if you don't have that little bit of sense of humor about your life and what's going on. Oh my gosh, you have to. You have to. (laughs) You absolutely have to. That was like one of the reasons why I I wanted to call the podcast Adventures in Autism because I'm like, it's an adventure. (laughs) It really is an adventure. (laughs) It's really an adventure. And at the same time, like, it's still like, I want to keep it as much as it is serious and it is. And there is, there's obviously just everything you've been talking about. There's there's really hard stuff. There's some, there's some really difficult moments, uh, things that like, I mean, we more than we could even into, but at the same time, like it's, it's also our life and it, it is like, it's exactly. It's our, it's our normal. It's our life. This is just how it is for us. Yes. And there's some, there's really wonderful, happy, amazing aspects to it. I mean, it's just like with anything, there's, you know, the good and the bad. Oh yeah, definitely. Oh, well, Dana, I feel like I could just talk with you all night. I, right. I know. Part two. When I had said too, I would love, I would love to get your mom on because I, I have not spoken to a parent, um, with an, an older adult mm-hmm. child with autism. So and I'm sure she would love that. So I'm okay. sure we could work that out. <laughs> okay. So we'll make that happen. Or if anybody listening, right. <laughs> Adult, child or sibling anyone with autism I just because I I think just getting all the different perspectives I just think is so so important um thank you for being so so open and honest especially about like the difficult parts I I did not know that part of your story and Mm I I'm I'm glad to know um even though it was really difficult to hear and um I don't want that to be the focus of this though because I think that you again you and Rob and just your just your relationship with him and I can I mean I mean just from everything we've been talking Mm -hmm. you are you are such a just an amazing sister to him and role model for him and therapist I mean your mom must be so proud of you oh thank (laughs) you because if you if my daughter (laughs) grew up to be uh, a BCBA and, and take care of her brother I I don't think anything in the whole world would make me more proud. (laughs) And again, thank you for, for sharing so much, um, especially on Instagram. Do you want to share where people can follow you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, Robert is on Instagram. Um, (laughs) We are autism underscore IRL can follow us there. Um, (laughs) I just like to document, you know, little daily occurrences that happen and occasionally I like to chat about some of the more difficult things that we face on there. Um, so yeah. And thank you so much for having me on and thank you so much for creating and starting this podcast about autism. You know, like we said, the, the more kind of avenues there are to disseminate and create more awareness, I think the better. And I think that this is an amazing outlet. Thank you. It's, it's really, it's been so rewarding and amazing just to hear all the different stories and um, I love it. So I'm happy to, I'm happy to do it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Dana. Yes. Thank you too. All right. Take care. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Okay. Well, I hope you enjoyed listening to my conversation with Dana. Like I said before, I just think that she is so special and so is Rob and you definitely need to go follow them on Instagram her account is just so heartfelt and compelling to watch. It's a lot of videos, <laughs> which are fun to see. And there's ups and downs, and she really shares it all and gives such a full portrayal of life with autism, especially, obviously, in her situation, an autistic adult, which I think is so important to see. We don't see enough of that. And I just absolutely love I love following along with their journey so again I hope you enjoyed listening today I know it was kind of tough to listen to at times obviously the story of abuse that Dana shared was one of the most difficult things that I've had to hear since starting this podcast and it really broke my heart and it it stuck with me and it has stuck with me since we recorded this episode Um, And I just think it goes to show how 
strong people on the spectrum are and how resilient and amazing they are. And I'm so glad that I was able to have Dana on as a guest because she just, she inspires me and so does Rob. So thank you everyone for listening. If you want to connect with me, you can find me on Facebook at Adventures in Autism Podcast or on Instagram at Adventures in Autism Pod or you can find or you can email me <laughs> um, at Adventures in Autism 2018 at yahoo.com. And again, if you would be so kind to leave an Apple podcast review, that would be awesome. It really does help people to find the show. Um, but I just love hearing from you guys any which way or the other. So that's all for now. And I will talk to you next week. Thanks.